0: Alrighty, righty, welcome everyone to the book club on Unsafe Space. I am your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined as almost always by the bad meme genre, Carrie Smith, who I will hopefully uh, make her video work here. Carrie, say something. Hi, Carter. There you go. It's working. We're
1: using, uh, we're using Zoom for the first time in a while, so this might have some problems. If you guys are in the video chat and you're not talking could you um hit mute on your microphone when you're not talking that just helps us weed out any background noise like um dogs or uh or anything else in the background or unacceptable uh,
0: opinions
1: (laughs) 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 and there's a lot of people here this time why don't we why don't we uh introduce ourselves can we do that this time is that cool
0: yeah let's run through and everyone can introduce themselves uh why don't we go in the order that I see you on my screen, because uh, otherwise, I think everyone probably sees something different. Tamara. Uh,
2: my name is Tamara Wilhite. I am a freelance technical writer for pay and do science fiction, horror, fantasy, uh, industry writing on the side.
0: Cool. Welcome. Hi, Tamara. Wolfgang. No, Wolfgang's not going to say anything. All right. Wolfgang will come out later. The uh, famous Dr. K.
3: I don't know about famous. Um, hi, I'm Carlin. I mouth off on the internet quite a bit. Sometimes people listen to me. That's it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Honorable Nicole M. Pratt, Esquire. Hi, I'm uh, Nicole. I'm a stay at home mom. I got four
4: kids and and I mom, I have my own that I take care of. And uh, yeah, that's how I spend my time now.
0: <laughs> nice. Hi, Mr. St. Thomas.
5: Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Thomas. I'm over here in Northeast Pennsylvania. Um, I'm a stay-at-home dad and stay-at-home worker now. We're all working from home, and the kids are home as well. So. Uh, that's my lifestyle right now. I'm sharing an office <laughs> with my wife now too because she has to do telemedicine. So that's been a lot of fun.
0: Nice. Welcome. Uh, let's see Elizabeth O'Brien, who also has children with her, I think. Maybe oh, her children God. are distracting. Hi. Oh, there she is.
6: <laughs> hey, I'm a mom mama four. Um, I discovered you guys a couple months ago and.
0: I'm really happy
6: to be joining the book club for the first
0: time. Welcome. I love the book. It's a good book. Hi. 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 Hey, buddy. <laughs> nice room. Um, let's see. Laura, did we do Laura? We didn't do Laura Kirkpatrick. Where's Laura?
7: Okay. Did I get it right? Can you you did. Me? Hi, I'm Laura Kirkpatrick, and I live I currently live in Illinois, and I. Stay at home. I was a former business owner. Moved here when I got married, and I have um, a husband and a 20 year old son that lives at home and goes to college. So it's the three of us locked in here together.
0: Nice. Uh, Silja, I think, I'm not sure how to pronounce your name. So if that's wrong, please smack me virtually and tell me how to say it. No. Uh, Silja's uh, mic doesn't appear to be working. But but uh, they're here and Kent Onufachuk, who is famous for giving us almost all the things that we talk about on Kafeffi lately.
8: <laughs> I kind of I kind of feel guilty like I'm spamming poor Jack, but because of my job, I'm lucky. I can I can just find neat stuff and and yeah, I stumbled onto you guys indirectly through uh, some IDW chat and, and <laughs> initially kind of. Never, never got the podcast too much. Couldn't really get into it, but then started uh, started understanding that different perspective and what's happening in the SJW community. It's nice to have clear thinkers on the list, and lots of clear thinkers and variety of opinions. And
3: well,
0: it. welcome. Uh, we appreciate it. I know Jack actually appreciates it as do I. So um, keep keep that up. You don't have to feel bad about. Uh, inundating jack at all so. I, I
8: too follow many horrible people over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, from northern alberta canada the long traveler probably
0: nice all right well carrie uh do you want to do you want to jump in i don't know how you want to do this um yeah you want to give your overall the, like- view first or something or what
1: yeah, why don't we kind of do it like we did previous book clubs where we sort of give a general impression of the book and then we, we can start getting into specifics if you want. I'm glad we finally read this one because I've been referencing it for a while without having read it, just without, like, with only looking at parts of it or little excerpts here and there, but knowing what it was about and it didn't disappoint. Um, I I've kind of been waiting for a book that I can recommend to people who want a condensed version of everything we talk about on Deprogrammed, about my old SJW ideology, if you want like a quick, like quick sort of condensed version that you can give to parents to say, this will help explain all the stuff you don't understand that your child is coming home from college and talking about, um, this is it. (laughs) So I'm very grateful that he wrote it. And I think there's, overall, my impressions, uh, I'll be honest, I'm on the last chapter. I was trying to speed, read, finish it. <laughs> <and> then, <laughs> Carrie, so, you're the
0: host. You can't not read the book.
6: I know. No, I it's,
1: know. Okay. And, it's okay.
0: It's so, okay. My wife hosted a book but, club the other day and hadn't she only read the first chapter, didn't <laughs> like it, and read a different book on the same subject and still hosted her book club. So... you're ahead of her on that that's fine
1: (laughs) well yeah i read the whole thing i'm just on the last like the conclusions what we can i'm on the most (laughs) important part is like where do we go from here but um i i definitely i like that he laid it out you know he uh he started from a place of like we've talked about on the show of just helping people to see how all these things connect together how this has roots in marxism and it's about looking at the world um, as a power struggle, as a struggle for power, but based on identity. So maybe we can start there and we can start less like, people. Just give me your overall impressions yeah. of the book.
0: Yeah. Like well,
1: How did you like it?
0: Um, I mean, Carrie, I had a very similar reaction in that, uh, I, I would recommend this book to a lot of people. I think it's a great, um, condensation of everything that we've been talking about for the last two years on deprogrammed. Um, all laid out very well and, and, and uh, sourced and explained. And uh, I think, I think it's really, and, and he's got a great vocabulary. I was looking up words, um, which I always like to do.
8: Uh,
0: but the, um, the only thing I didn't like, and I, this is just me personally, and I don't, there's, this is not a dig at the book. This is just me. I, when I read nonfiction, I want to learn something new. And for me, this was, this was like, Everything we've been talking about said better than we said it, but it wasn't new stuff. It was all like, right. "Okay, this this is all stuff I know." Um, but I would still really, really highly recommend it because I think you and I are unusual in that we spend so much time looking at this stuff um, that we kind of have seen all these arguments and and all this stuff. But uh, I really liked it. Um, I thought it was really well done. So let's just open it up. Uh, who else has comments, and then we'll get into questions.
3: I think. Oh, go ahead, Thomas. I'm oh, sorry.
5: Uh, I feel somewhat similar to what um, you said, Carter, in the sense that a lot of this stuff was like, yeah, I feel the same way. And I, I know, I kind of know these things, but it was nice to see somebody put it together in a way that um, linked a lot of things and wasn't mean spirited either. And I've often felt like whenever I bring some of these things up, because I was actually in a progressive um, Facebook group almost as a conservative consultant to be like, Hey guys, this is kind of where things are going. And I think these are your blind spots, things like this. And they would always, it always felt like I was being gaslit. Like, well, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, is that really what's happening? Um, what about the context? And it was nice to see all the stuff laid out. Like, it's not just the context. It's not just one officer and there. It's really happening. And it's happening a lot right in front of our noses all the time
0: yeah yeah he did an excellent job with that dr k what were you gonna say
3: yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with what Thomas just said. And I, I I appreciated it being laid out in just like that very logical way that, you know, all these little things that we see because it's it's all the little thing. It's not like big things. It's like little things that show up in every single part every day consistently in the same way. Um, I thought that was really valuable. But what I really wanted to say was I listened to the audio version, obviously, because I'm knitting and to to hear him read it like with his very droll kind of like British accent, it was the best thing ever. Oh, he like, read it himself. Oh yeah yeah yeah. It was it was very. It's like some of it comes across as like so snarky and like I can't even believe I have to talk about this, but I have to. And it was like the audio version is very good.
0: He he does have like that. Uh, it's it's a humorous book, um, but it's kind of a dry humor. So I think it would be in, enjoyable to listen to him actually deliver his own. Lines.
3: Yeah, it was fantastic.
0: Cool. Anyone else have thoughts?
8: Right to Dr what Dr. K said about the audiobook. Like, because of my job, I can just dawdle around listening to audiobooks and podcasts through my hearing aids, right? So the uh if everyone remembers the first couple of pages, the first he does like a little uh four or five line reading from of some lovely quote from some absolutely brilliant guy, and then that's when he cuts into the lyrics from the start of Anaconda. So I was going to say, Carly, you can edit this sucker out. I've got the audiobook right here because I know a copyright. For people that have never heard Nicki Minaj lyrics in Douglas Murray's pillow-like voice, I can make that happen in, like, 20 seconds.
0: <laughs> um, are you, uh, would you play it or would you, um, like, would you play it physically yourself? Because I don't think that'll trip copyright.
8: Okay, yeah, I got it. I got my phone. I just got on hook it from my hearing aids. I'll, I'll make a happy noise when it's when I get it queued
0: up. <laughs> the only thing is we're on Zoom and Zoom is um, very heavily compressed, optimized for voice. So uh, people, it might not work very well, but um, we can read the lyrics though for people. Should we read the lyrics or do you want to, people to hear them? Someone
3: uh, has to do a fake British accent if you read them.
0: It's fake- all, you just volunteered, Dr. K.
3: No, I can't do a fake British accent, but someone else can. <laughs> Carrie, he whenever he's
7: interviewed, he is such a great interview person. I mean, his interviews are amazing.
0: I haven't seen him interviewed. Oh my um,
7: god, it's, he's so good. Um, I'll try to think about the one that I liked the most um, because it was really funny.
5: Roger Scruton. Yeah. of The last interviews with Roger Scruton before he died.
7: That was really, really. Which great. one?
5: Roger Scruton. Sir Roger Scruton. That dude, yeah.
7: He's just really, he's, he's really funny, really funny.
0: So um, Kent brought up something before the show. Kent, I'm just gonna talk about your uh, yeah, yeah, sure. question. Um, you said the Evergreen College situation was one of uh, your earlier introductions to the IDW guys. And you enjoyed learning more about Brett Weinstein. Um, and then you asked, Why do you think he specifically became the target of so much of the fury of the mob during this and the aftermath um, beyond the email, which was pretty benign? Um, Can we ask Dr. K first? Because you were interested in her opinion as well and I don't want to bias anyone. I've got my own opinions about it, but let's hear what Dr. K says about that.
3: About why Brett became the target of all of this? Why
0: specifically Brett more than others uh, is more of a target and, and has received more fury from the mob?
3: Because he didn't apologize. Because he said what he was going to say, and he didn't apologize, and he didn't back down, and even when he had this mob of students outside his classroom, he even didn't back down them, and and that's what they want. They want people to to apologize, to bend the knee. He didn't do it.
0: Yeah, I. So that that's my that's my number one reason as well. He didn't he didn't apologize. I think there's a maybe a secondary reason though. Um, Brett is an evolutionary biologist, and there is nothing more dangerous than someone who knows biology and understands evolution than, uh, to the, to this ideology, right? Because they can bring facts and science into debates about, uh, gender trans race, like everything. Um, he actually has the kryptonite, um, that like the intellectual kryptonite as, as his, like who he is. He's, he's not just a, professor who disagreed he's a biologist like an evolutionary biologist who disagreed um and he didn't back down so yeah those were my those are the two big things that i saw um i
1: think also it, it was his background in um because originally when he wrote his letter against going home like against forcing uh white people to not come to class that day he didn't draw so much on the, what you're talking about, which is true, his biological background, but he was drawing on, he, he has a, you know, he's a progressive and he's has a history of advocating against racism and that, and he was drawing on that. And I think they find that very threatening as well, because he's not some right winger that they can write on. He's off. one of theirs. Yeah. He's a progressive. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's very dangerous, right? Because he appeals yeah. to leftists because he is a progressive. He's got the science to back everything he says up. And like Dr. K said, he refused to back down, he didn't apologize. Um, yeah. So that makes him particularly dangerous, I think. His but,
2: uh, 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 of wrong. He's sitting was saying, You're wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. And then when they upped the threats, he stood by what he said. His sin was blasphemy, and the lynch mob was coming to tear down all the blasphemers. Um, Jonathan Haidt talked about the different competing moral systems and moral channels of Mm -hmm. hierarchy, and then you also have the reverse hierarchy. You shouldn't have a society where the layers of society are so numerous and distant that the top is unaccountable to the bottom, And every once in a while, you get a revolution. The people on the bottom are in the middle, pulling those on the top down, and then inverting or altering who's on top. Right now, we've got a war of the worldviews, borrowing Dennis Prager's term, or competing versions of software on the societal operating system, Douglas Murray's example. And they're going, well, we want to be on top. No, we want to be on top. And Brett's issue was saying, no. I am not going to the bottom. No, I'm not obligated to be hidden and go away and give you the dominant power in the social system. We're actually equal. One of the issues with social justice is lying to say, we're making everything equal. They're trying to set up a new hierarchy and then justify oppressing the groups they call oppressors and saying, we're only making it fair if we oppress men, whites, heterosexuals in order to make it fair. So it's a there's a discordant in there, discordant nature on purpose and you say no if you're going to have equality we'll have total equality but you don't get to oppress a specific group in the name of fairness. So he's challenging the care harm and fairness moral channels are the only things that liberals use for highest research. And he's confronting them on the fairness issue that is one of the only two issues they use to determine if something's right.
3: I think yeah. that's a really astute point, to be honest. Like, it's not about equality, it's about setting up a new hierarchy.
0: Yeah.
5: I think uh, in the book, Douglas talks about an inversion instead of equality. So I, I think that's spot on what Tamara was saying. It's an inversion instead of trying to set something up equal.
0: Yeah. You know, so he touched on something that um, I don't think is emphasized enough. Uh, but And he didn't really talk about it too much, but he at least said it in passing, which is not off. I don't often hear, um, which is he, he emphasized that like, it's not just that equality of outcome is bad. It's that equality of, equality generally, other than equality under the law, equality is impossible. Like even equality of opportunity is impossible. It's an impossibly achievable thing. And so to make that your standard um, is to ignore reality and means that you're not actually, you know, you're not actually working for something that can be achieved. It's an endless task to try and achieve because you can't. Um, And often I hear people say, well, you know, the problem is equality of outcome, but we all agree that equality of opportunity needs to be achieved. And he kind of in passing ditched that idea as well correctly, which is you can't achieve that either.
1: Well, I think he, I think when I say it, people mean it in a more specific way than just a qual- I agree. Everybody's born with a different set of uh, circumstances. So privileges, if you use that word, or um, marginalizations, if you want to use that word, everybody's different. But most of the time when I hear equality of opportunity, I hear people talking about specifically as like under the law. and you, know, there being no legal barrier to you having equal opportunity.
0: I think there's but a I- distinction there though, that deserves to be made, and I think he made it at least from what I read, I think he recognized that like there's no equality of opportunity. There's equality under the law, and you can call that equality of opportunity under the law. As a, right. you can qualify it, but we have to make that distinction because chasing after equality of opportunity is a fool's errand.
1: Not under the law, though.
0: Not under the law. <laughs> right. that's, maybe that's what people want. If it's a,
5: it's a never-ending task. There's always, there's always more work to be done.
0: Well, and he made that point too, right? Which, which uh, I think was good because I think a lot of people don't come away with. I mean, we've kind of said that the purpose of this is the destruction of Western civilization, which sounds kind of over the top. But he didn't say it in that many words. But he did kind of say there is no positive purpose to this. right? He did say there is no thing they're constructing. Um, And it's not about constructing anything. It's just about perpetually being in this state of upset. Um, That's kind of what I took away from it. So I think Stephen just
1: joined us. Um, and I was just going to say, when you're not talking, Stephen, just hit your mute button, and that way the camera won't go to you if there's any background noise.
9: Okay, thanks.
1: FYI. But hi, welcome.
9: Thank welcome, to see you, finally.
6: <laughs> Elizabeth, did I you cut you off? Oh, no, I was just saying, um, let's see, in the conclusion, it said, he says that, uh, I mean, all of this is just about us unweaving, you know, this. Impossible, impossible idea to unweave of all these different issues it's they're all these issues themselves are just like they want to seem like they're intermixed and we have to unweave them and it's impossible to unweave something that's not even coherent something like that sorry i'm not that doesn't
0: no you're right you're right and he oh, made i think he go. made another because good
6: point oppression do not, yep. unlock, do not lock neatly together, but grind hideously and noisily both against each other and within themselves. So, yeah, it's just an impassable unweave.
0: Yeah, and 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 he made. I think he made the point that um, he made two points. One is he pointed out what you're saying, which is like these things don't actually go together; they're logical contradictions. They would fall apart on their own. But I think he made an important second point. And it, I found he, he made it at the beginning of the book and again at the end, which was, um, we have to stop thinking that Marxists care about contradictions, they do not. And so the idea that they will somehow see the light that they're self-contradictory and correct themselves is something we can't rely on um, because they don't care that there's contradictions, logically, that doesn't bother them.
5: Yeah, uh, Thomas sold did a book on Marxism and to be honest, I didn't, haven't gotten through it yet because it was way over my head at the time and maybe still is, I'll check back in. But um, I do specifically remember him talking about the inherent contradictions in Marxism and that it was almost uh, based solely on contradiction as if it, it finds those contradictions and the, the contradictions are what make it what it is. So I think that's probably weaving into the, the mentality of how they see the world and don't actually believe that logical contradictions are a problem, but something to be cherished.
0: Uh, Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I don't think, not to get too philosophical, but I think if we go back to a lot of the philosophy that this stuff is based on, a lot of the political theory is based on philosophy that purports to use reason to demonstrate the uh, fallibility of reason, like, hey, I've used reason to prove that reason doesn't exist, or that like, a is not A or whatever, there's a lot of bad philosophy that underlies this stuff. And so that's, those are like foundational pillars to the belief system that really um, permeate everything. And so it leads to embracing of contradictions because the the very philosophical premises on which this entire system is built are based on literally metaphysics that's insane, right? Which is metaphysics that's like A is not A and you know, um, I've just used reason to disprove the use of reason as a like it's you know and that stuff was taken seriously and built upon and turned into political theories.
2: But they already have the explanation for any contradictions. It's the official evil conspiracy groups of the patriarchy and the white supremacist culture and the you've already, it's similar to the 1900s where Everything is blamed on the Jews. I am not anti-Semitic. I have Jewish laws. But saying what if you look at the Arab world, it's not working. This is a problem. Ooh, the evil Jews are doing the yeah, don't take their vi- you know, don't take their vaccine. We'll blame them for this and that. So if there's a contradiction, if there's a problem, the answer they've already got the scapegoats identified in their worldview already.
3: Carrie, I I was curious to hear from you, like, when you were in this ideology, did you, did you know that it was contradictions, or?
1: Um, that's a good question, wow. Yes, but the, it was more important to, okay, let me, let me back up, let me think about this. As contradictions became apparent, I, I believed in the ideology that it was good, and that this was the way to end racism and sexism, and so, if there was a contradiction, then it became important for me to figure out how to explain it, and not just for me, for it to, for me to do like the gymnastics required to make it make sense to me, even though it was, it was like gobbledygook all the time. But then to go and explain that and to articulate that for other people, so that they could feel okay about it. I mean, a good example is the is the way that they redefine words like racism has a new definition now or sexism has a new definition now and that's why it's okay to treat people differently on the basis of racism and sex on the on the ba- on the basis of what their race is and what their sex is because we've redefined those words. It's like oh, okay there's your loophole now it make now I can go and, and teach that new definition to people and then they'll feel better about the about treating people in this way. And I don't know does that answer your question?
3: Yeah. I I was just curious, like, was there ever a cognitive dissonance for you?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There were definite (laughs) moments of like, wait a minute. But you know, before I I did my whole detransitioning from it, there were little moments where I didn't agree with the group and, but I felt like something was wrong with me. They make you feel like something's wrong with you. So then you're having to like figure out why you're not agreeing and you keep it to yourself that you're not so a good example was um when everybody in everybody attacked maria kang for fitness mom i don't know if you guys remember fit mom um but everybody piled on her because she did some motivational posters about losing weight and exercising and being a mom and her tagline was what's your excuse and it was her with her kids and the whole feminist community what he calls I love the way he makes fun of fourth wave feminists he says fourth wave feminism is third wave feminism with apps (laughs) which is true (laughs) but so the third and fourth wave feminists all piled on her and it became this huge one of the mob you know the mobbings where you've done something wrong and what she did wrong was that she transgressed and fat shamed by daring to encourage people to work out and um and so I, when that was happening, I felt in my gut, this is wrong. I don't want to pile on this woman, but I also don't want to say anything. I'm not going to stick my neck out for her. It was that feeling of like, something's wrong in me if I don't understand, I just have to figure out why I'm not on board with it. But you know, I was a coward back then. I wouldn't say anything. I would watch the pylons happen.
0: So are you saying that you um, you got really good at rationalization when something, like you would see a contradiction and you're, the, the writer got really good at rationalizing where the elephant's going?
1: Yeah, the writer is very good at rationalizing because, well, I think, and because a lot of these people, like I did, they believe wholeheartedly that they're on the side of good and they don't ever question their capacity for evil or their capacity for do, they, they don't, so, so it's really hard to get somebody to look at contradictions and when, when they've been told that you are evil if you don't agree. I mean, even in this book, I like the way he points out how, um, well, I one of my favorite parts was on page 100 and then again on page 161, he gets to how they um, they're very good at saying that there's hidden meaning behind everybody else's words. So if you're not in the ideology, That nobody can take your words at face value because secretly behind your words, there's some kind of racism or sexism there. That's where they use those terms like dog whistles and stuff like, Carlin, you may not say something sexist, but secretly we know that what you're saying is sexist and it's behind the words, right? Right. So simultaneously they say, we can't take your words at face value because you're not in our cult. We know there's dark evil meaning behind your words that only we can interpret. But simultaneously they say, you also can't take our words at face value. And when we say blatantly racist and sexist things, like Sarah Jong in the New York Times says blatantly racist things, that's not really what those words mean. And when we say kill all men, that's not what those words mean. You can't take our words at face value. They have secret, good meaning that only we can decipher for you. And isn't that messed up?
5: (laughs) And speaking of decipher reminds me of, uh, at some point, it gets to that level of the prose that he quoted from, who was a woman who wrote White Privilege? And he has that little one sentence from her, that's about 15 lines long, that it takes. Yeah, I couldn't. Re- I I think I highlighted. I'll, I'll look at the page, but it was just so much gobbledygook to where it's like, well, it sounds really smart. So you know, I'm sure that there's some kind of truth behind it because, especially young kids who are going through college or even adults, um, when they hear stuff like that, it's put together with such style that you wouldn't recognize that it's just a bunch of crap
9: yeah i also i looked at this uh and saw that uh they had the the uh, on page 171 they talk about the the facts are, that that the facts aren't helpful so they'll they don't want to hear it if it doesn't help their their cause and whoever gets to decide the cause you know that's kind of the real crux of it we they all think they're doing right just like kerry said but they don't uh they don't you know they're willing to have all this cognitive dissonance but in the end it doesn't matter you know they're they're looking for some utopia, though nobody seems to to be able to say what that really is. Social yeah,
6: justice. On that same page. Oh, go ahead.
2: Social justice is political dogma, liberal political dogma invested with religious levels of faith. So you can say, These facts contradict faith. I have faith in the dogma, therefore I can blast the facts. Or say these facts come from a hateful source. Therefore they're fake and I can disregard them. These facts are inconvenient. Wait, I can assume this is the result of patriarchy and heteronormativity. So if we just adopt the theology, it'll solve everything.
0: No, that's live. a way
2: of explaining the contradictions.
0: Well, I mean, I think to a large extent, I was thinking about this in in terms of like how do we solve this problem? because he he proposes some real challenges given given technology and social media for like how are we gonna like, I think he has a whole section about forgiveness, like how are we gonna do that? Um, and uh, I, I hate to be trite about it, but this is this is the issue. I, I think frankly, we need to evolve with this technology for a while and make mistakes, and things are gonna be a pain until we evolve as a species, either one way or another, Um, either we continue to go this route and uh, balkanize and just continue to have infighting and and things fall apart for us, or um, we develop the skill sets and habits to not do this to other people. And I wonder, I don't know if anyone on the call knows uh, what gen z or younger people are really like my daughter's kind of too young to be doing any of this stuff online so i don't really know yet but I- i'm wondering if maybe the the practices of the younger generation will be a little bit different but m- maybe i'm just being optimistic which is unusual for uh,
3: the little girl I, I know a, of oh go ahead
0: no i have a 23 year old and He's pretty
9: down to earth, but his girlfriend I see, she posts all kinds of crazy stuff on Instagram. And clearly just a lot of it is the ideology. It's just not she clearly doesn't think about what she's saying, you know, what what is theirs. She's clearly just reposting what someone else has, has put up there, you know. And, and clearly and, and I won't even I won't even get into it with her because they're not interested in listening to it. You know, they're not interested in having that conversation
0: would she join a pitchfork mob online and pile on someone you think
9: you know i i, I don't think she's not a twitter person mostly she puts up these memes on instagram you know uh, today it was that uh, Anne frank died in the nazi concentration camp of disease and we have hundreds of illegal aliens who are dying of the same disease now because of the coronavirus with this crazy it was this crazy leap you know and I'm not getting, can't even argue with that you know
0: I thought the disease was socialism there for a second but no that's not what she meant huh <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, it's, it's capitalism is the disease, you know. I see.
3: Well, like with Gen Z, we need to keep like a couple of things in mind. I don't know much about it, but I know like a little bit about it. And number one, their brains are not fully developed. The logic and ration function of their brain is not fully developed yet. So, like, cut them some slack; they'll get there. Um, but the other hey, wait, thing wait, is- can
0: you pause, Dr. K? Can you pause for a second? Because not everyone knows, not everyone knows that. And I think you just glossed over something that I think is not common knowledge, which is. Okay the age at which brain development uh is kind of but the age at which we're fully baked and I, it's different for men and women but can you talk it's about like, that
3: yeah it's like early to mid 20s they about and so the logic reason function is literally the last part of the brain to to develop fully and you know the part of the brain that develops before that and actually makes most of most of our decisions even into adulthood is the emotional part of the brain and so these kids they are very literally making decisions based on their emotions they're not they're not fully baked yet, um, but, the, but the other things I know about Gen Z is they are kind of, the profile of the generation is following that of, like, the boomers, so they do actually have, you know, a sense of, of values, of morals, um, a lot more than, like, previous generations of their age, but the other thing that's that's true about this generation is their stress level is very, very high. For for people of like any age, frankly, they're 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 a lot higher than their parents were at their age, and so um, I really attribute a lot of that to a lot of this nonsense that's going on that's keeping them in this constant state of stress and outrage. And I think it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how that the the outcomes of that. To be honest,
0: I mean, how just physically, you- that's one of the most unhealthy things to be in. Is that like a constant state of stress is extremely unhealthy. Yeah. Um, yeah
4: i think carla do you think
0: it's manufactured
9: stress or is it uh is it made up stress or is it an actual thing because uh, you know i i see a lot of screaming and yelling but i don't i don't see the actual areas of stress when i was you know when i was young blah 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 we we all had life you know we've all been through these things
3: yeah but what you gotta understand is that um hang on that's got a bunch of feedback um well, you have to understand about stress, it doesn't matter if it's a made up thing or not. If it, is, if it exists as being true in the person's head, then it will cause real stress regardless of if their perception is correct or not.
0: Right. So you're saying, uh, Dr. K, that stress is really it's how you uh, mentally respond and you get the hormones released, whether or not there's a tiger chasing you. If you believe it, it's then your body responds as if there's a tiger chasing you. Yes. Yeah.
4: I think um, my Gen Zers, um, a lot, what I'm seeing, I think out of them is actually a lot of natural rebellion to the millennials that behave so much like in this madness of crowds, where they might act like boomers in some ways, but it's almost a natural thing to push back on what the, the older cool kids lay out as like what you have to think. So I, and I do think they are under a tremendous amount of stress and I think it's real. I I absolutely think it's real. The amount of stress that school puts on them to constantly be focused on grades and achieving test scores in order for their school to get paid and everything that sort of tumbled out after uh, No Child Left Behind. The kids operate under this constant, you know, like you have to get into college you have to get everything perfect you have to be extremely well-rounded or you're not going to get into college and if you don't go to college you're a bad person kind of constant barrage of influence not to mention they never ever ever get a break so like i know that you know when i was a kid it was one way and when my mom was a kid it was one way and, and we all had our real challenges, but these kids never ever get a break. It's constant, the media and the, the feedback from their peers. So you know, I think they are under a ton of stress.
0: You know what strikes me as odd, Nicole, though, is that, and maybe this is just like an old curmudgeon speaking, but it seems to me like um, we learned more, but we're under less, but we did less. Like, I, I, it seems like kids today are being kept busy doing a lot of things. Their time has, there's a lot of demands on their time. There's a lot of, like, requiring that they, um, you know, spend time volunteering or spend time doing whatever it is. And they, they're asked to put a lot of time and effort in, but their actual level of education is far behind my generation. And I think probably even farther behind my parents and grandparents generation in terms oh. of what they're actually learning.
7: It's That's not what they'll say. That's not what they'll say to you though, because I know that my son and his friends think that their workload and that their educational requirements are way higher than anything we ever. Had.
0: Well, I think their, I think they're, their, The requirements to work at it are very high, but if you, I mean, you can objectively look at, at like standard stuff and what kids did in the past and how they, uh, like vocabulary words that children knew four generations ago by graduating high school and what they know now, or math or like any standardized subject, by, you know, by the standards of my grandparents, our kids are much dumber, but oh. they certainly are working a lot harder. So it seems like the, the school system has just given them a lot of busy work and a lot of stuff to do and stuff to take up their time and stuff to stress them out, but not really taught them anything.
4: Well, because they have to spend so much time teaching this stuff. Teaching <laughs> these crazy ideas and the whole new social structure that they want to put in place that something's got to give. So forget cursive writing. Now our kids can't, you know, read the Declaration of Independence. They, need they to. can't find or the United
0: States they, on a map.
4: They can't, let alone another country. There's no geography. I mean, all of just basic sort of subjects go by the wayside because everything is so constantly focused on let's talk about how this, you know, affects transgender people. Well, it also- everything has to be focused through that lens.
1: This reminds me of the uh, chapter on technology and and when he specifically tackled the, um, the changes that Google has made to search results and how they're editing history, they're rewriting history and that they're, you know, it, kids, I was thinking about that in the far reaching implications of that, if it continues, not just with search results, but you know, one of the examples he gave was if you look for European art, and instead of finding like actual historical pieces of you know the most important pieces you need to know in an art history class, they have selected for you to find specific ones that of paintings of people that fit whatever demographics they want you to see, as if that as if the the paintings of black people they've selected were famous at that time in european history and they weren't it's like they're reteaching a false history that didn't exist and how far is that going to go you know wow well we're going
4: to find out because we're all stuck with them right now we're just i mean i think at least for the next month and my my 16 year old was just complaining about his social studies class and how hard that's going to be because he said mostly we just do like group work, or she just kind of lectures us on how bad white people are. And I'm like, okay, well, awesome. I hope, I can't wait to hear these lectures and I can't wait for the rest of the parents to hear what you guys are actually learning. Because So I think this might be a silver lining inside of COVID.
0: Educators are terrified that you're gonna find out what they're learning because they're not learning anything. Um, and you know, Kerry, you brought up the Google stuff. That's something that that's one part of the book that actually, I feel like I, I did learn something about because I knew it was happening, but I didn't have the specific examples that he gave. And the examples I went and I had, um, while I was reading, I went and Googled, I did image searches. I went to a, I went to a clean browser with no history. Like I made sure, you know, it was a nice clean search and he was right. And, but one thing, one thing that I, found out is I also went to DuckDuckGo and I think one of the things that he he mentioned was you search like white couples or something right um and it showed you you know black gay couples or whatever it was which was true uh DuckDuckGo wasn't actually much better which uh which I think you know I don't want to go blame I I do blame Google and I do think they're doing what he says they're doing but you got to understand something else image searches don't work through looking at the image. Like there's not a computer with like a great AI system. That's got great visual uh, processing that looks at an image and figures out what it is and categorizes it. Images are predominantly categorized through tags, which means that most of what, when, when we talk about white couples in society, most web pages that talk about them are doing so in a negative light and trying to show alternatives to, uh, like heterosexual couples or whatever it is. Um, so if if societies, if web pages generally are doing that, then you will get a biased set of, uh, not a bias, but a set of images that doesn't actually represent what you're looking for. And so I, cause I don't think DuckDuckGo is doing any manipulation like that. And yet their search results were better, but not great. Uh, and so that may m- more be a reflection of culture and what people are talking about online and how they're tagging things and how they're what language they're using around images
1: yeah and I, how do you I, account I some
5: of the same stuff so i'm sorry Carrie, but just as you said oh. that about european art i um, googled european art and one of the first things that came up is i think it's the um the creation where um god's pointing and you know they've they, you know they're almost touching fingers but it's all of nude black women that wasn't one of the first <laughs> that came up with the European art. I was like, "Wait a second! I don't think that's
0: the way it went." No, I mean, Michelangelo totally did that. that that's his original work.
7: Yeah,
5: I mean, I mean, it's 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 a beautiful thing. And there's an also another one of these two old men making out. It's like I just it is kind of weird. But I, I do think what you said, Carter, is very relevant because I think it is very much the way people talk about the things that we're looking for, as opposed to google giving us what we think we want to visually
0: see that's a really hard problem to correct right because if you have a culture if you have a culture full of people who if they have any let's just pick um european art if you have a culture turning out people who if they ever write anything about european art or ever talk about european art it's only in a negative light and only to show what art should be have like should have been there or whatever then that's going to skew any kind of results and you got to remember google no search engine the internet is not a history archive really right it's a it's what people are talking about now but for actual history you need to actually go to history books and look at actual primary sources and actually learn history that's different than a google search of people talking about something historically but this is
1: info but this is it's not just google i mean i think google's a great example of what people are history will be skewed through that lens and if they're looking for something like european history and trying to pull images out but it's also happening in academia you know we've talked about on unsafe space before about the colleges that are getting rid of like european art history classes and
0: right that's my point is it goes beyond google that's my point it goes
1: beyond google but um I'm not convinced it's just about we can talk like I don't want to go down a rabbit hole of about DuckDuckGo and why that might be showing up that way as well but um,
0: well I I think Google is doing something I'm not I'm not making an argument that Google's doing nothing Uh, I think Google probably is doing something but I'm using DuckDuckGo as like a baseline and say well even DuckDuckGo is skewed that skew is probably because the internet's probably skewed and the internet's probably skewed because of the culture and universities and everything else we're talking about so um, which just is makes it more of a daunting problem for me which is like okay well it's not just fixing google it's like we have a lot to fix here we have a we've you know we're turning out generations of people that like this um, this is what they want to do they want to rewrite history well, there's a systematic
2: oppression by algorithm because the ai is censoring opinions censoring sources censoring even words to say we will only show you what we approve and that systematic oppression uh, douglas murray said silicon valley is further left than academia academic management is further left than the professors and the professors are further left than the public this has truly been the march through the institutions and now they're imposing oppression by ai to censor, filter and throttle to make sure that the information people get, the news people get is overwhelmingly reflecting their filter, regardless of the truth.
0: Yeah. I mean, as someone who's been in Silicon Valley, I, I mean, he's spot on. The Valley is the most woke place I've ever seen. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got a lot of people who, uh, I think you've got a lot of people who somewhat feel guilty for their success. And think that the way to balance that out is to be ultra woke and to push woke agendas. Um, That's at least my take on it. And you can't, you know, one of the reasons I started unsafe space was uh, I I realized I had to make a decision between staying in the Valley uh, and, and speaking my mind and, and I couldn't do both. Um, So I, you know, it is it is really bad and it's and it's driving people away that have differing opinions. so it's just becoming this like little echo chamber. Um, and I don't see it ending anytime soon. I don't there's like there's not really any indication that Silicon Valley is going to change.
10: Did you guys see um, the uh, video they put out on machine learning fairness from Google? Did anyone see that?
0: The one he referenced in the book, uh, did he reference
10: that? I think he might have.
0: Yeah, Yeah, he did reference it. I haven't seen it. Do you want to describe it?
10: Yeah, it's really interesting because I think it really ties in the way that Silicon Valley thinks about social justice as entrenched. And they are manipulating um, search results. But the way they're seeing it is that we're already biased and they're unbiasing us. Because if you look up American inventors, there's like a delay and the fact that eventually all inventors will be half black and half white and half male and half female. So they want to de-bias you by giving you the search results to account for the delay in time by the time that social justice and equality of outcome has been achieved in their sort of utopian viewpoint. So they don't see it as manipulating search results. They see it as, it was a good like three minute video, but they basically just say this is just what we're doing to try to make it more
0: accurate and fair. I mean, they're extremely arrogant. They do. I will say this, all Silicon Valley views um, the most of America and everyone else as like idiots. And these are dumb sheep that need to be led. And we're going to, you know, look at, just look at how Jack Dorsey talks about Twitter. He talks about like, he, he openly talks about how they need to police. He doesn't use the word police. I forget what word he uses, but he talks about policing the culture and like helping to make the, have the right kind of conversations. And like, they're very arrogant about what, about their view being the default view. And, uh, and that's the right way. And they're smarter than you because they made a billion dollars or they invented whatever it was. And you're just an idiot. And so you know, the only possible reason you could disagree is ignorance on your part. I don't, I've never seen them actually question anyone, anyone major in Silicon Valley actually question their own premises. Um,
1: Elizabeth, I want to make sure you get to say what you're gonna say a second ago. I saw your
6: camera come on. I can't remember. Oh no, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> now that I have your attention, Tamara Willite in the chat, she was talking about the autistic girls that all decide together that they're really trans men or sexual minorities. And I was just going to text her or, you know, that that was the saddest part in in the book, you know, that they show these things in schools. I'm a homeschooler. So I keep my kids. Good away. for you,
0: by the way. Cheers. Thank you. I, know.
6: I mean, my first went to kindergarten and I was just giving them a chance, you know? We had talked about homeschooling ever since he was born, but after that experience, it was horrible, you know? So when, what was when your I hear experience? that they're talking about these things to their kids in public school, I mean, it's not their own kids. It's not even their kids. And they are giving them ideas, really. Yeah. And then they're most a group of them decide that they're trans. I mean, that's terrible, you know? There's
0: such the other heart- sponges. yeah. You're reminding me of the other heartbreaking breaking moment where he talked about the Down syndrome kid. The, I think it was a, a girl with Down syndrome, and I just thought to myself, like, I imagine Down syndrome kid and a bunch of adults manipulating that kid into getting a sex change operation, and it's just one of the most horrifying things I can imagine doing. It's, I mean, it's it's uh. It's torture. It's sadistic. It's like, it's really sick to do to someone with Down syndrome.
6: Yeah. And then like Dr. K said, their brains aren't developed. I mean, it's a. Yeah. I always thought it was uh, like my joke, like he shouldn't be able to make decisions right now. <laughs> like in the family, if, if somebody at 20 or 21 years old made a stupid decision, like that, they shouldn't have been allowed to make that decision. I mean, it's, it's a joke. Obviously everybody has their freedom, but
0: yeah. Well, but in many ways, kids aren't allowed to consent, right? Rightly so. We recognize that kids can't consent. They don't have the faculty to consent for a lot of things. Um, and uh, and yet, when it comes to irreversible, permanent change to their bodies, uh, yeah, we're just supposed to be like, oh, yeah, the, the eight-year-old said it. So
5: that reminds me of part where he said a lot of these decisions were being made by the teachers about how they were going to um, address the child's gender and go through the whole process there and change it in the schools. But these were the same schools where they had to have a parent's permission to give the child an aspirin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious to me. (laughs) In a sad way. Yeah. Can Can we give Johnny an aspirin? Who's Johnny? Oh, uh your child is now a boy and we've renamed her, but we need your permission for an aspirin. Yes,
3: exactly. I do wonder if that's going to start reversing though, like the the leniency with which they're operating because I mean I think of like that that lawsuit in the UK against um their their health system with that that um well, she's back to being a woman now, but lived as a man for a while. And what she said was, you know, if they had just pushed back a little bit, just challenge me a little bit instead of letting it sail right through, I think we're gonna see a big backlash coming up as all these people who transitioned as teenagers mm. realize that maybe that wasn't the choice I should have made. And I,
0: I totally agree. We're, we're in for a hell of a lot of lawsuits um, yeah. and rightly so. And it's gonna be sweet justice to have these people sued. Um, but unfortunately, the government stuff. No government agency is ever going to be held accountable. No person's ever going to be held accountable if they win a lawsuit. Taxpayers will pay, and none of the people involved will have will suffer any consequences. So, that's the curmudgeon in me.
5: I really oh, thought I that wait, there was going to so- be a big change in Tokyo with the Olympics coming up, but those are being postponed because a lot of the a lot of the changes with the trans athletes coming to fruition and then being national, um, not nationalized, but worldwide. Um, some of our what we think is just normal fight with wokeness and some people say oh you know maybe think about the context within which they get it. none of that's going to fly when we go to the olympics and try to put people who are biological males in some sports whether it's us canada or australia or great britain you know there's going to be places that are going to be like no you're done and it, yeah. you know, i really thought that at the olympics it was gonna we we're gonna hit ahead but you know we're gonna have to wait for that till next year
1: Hey, so I wanted to point out um, uh, one of my other one of the other points that I thought he made he did a good job of making in the book, um, and this again just goes back to their contradiction. So one was that con- that idea that you can't trust any words at face value that they have the secret decoder ring, you know, as somebody in chat said to be able to tell what people really mean. Um, but the other was when he talked about how it's it's weird because it's simultaneously, everything is about what identity group you're in and what your race is and what your sex is to these people, unless, and he does a good job of pointing this out, unless you disagree with the ideology itself, and then it doesn't matter. And so those examples he gives of uh, Peter, is it Teal? Is that how you say it? The, uh, Peter Teal? Yeah, who's, who's, you know, he was excommunicated from the church of gay you know because he supported trump and then uh kanye west when he came out in support of of trump then he, then and i remember sjw sending that piece around they were it was almost like they were waiting especially the white sjws were waiting to see like Carlin asked before, how do you deal with these logically logical inconsistencies? They wait to see what those who articulate the ideology have to say, and then they share those op-eds and they repeat those things. And that's why you notice they all repeat the same talking points. So as soon as that op-ed came down the pipe, um, you know Kanye West is uh, is is basically not black because he's um, he's choosing to be white and to side with white people then then that's everything i saw people repeating um but i thought i thought he did a good job of pointing that out that it's really it's i still haven't quite wrapped my head around that but it's like race and sex is everything until it's not until you don't voice the ideology and then it couldn't matter less what you're so I,
0: i i carry i think that it's not i think actually the this is the way i think about it it's not um they don't care about race or sex. Race and sex, that oppression hierarchy is not what they care about. That oppression hierarchy is a tool that they will use to achieve political ends. And if the tool is convenient, it will be employed. If the tool is not convenient, it won't be employed. Some other tool will be employed. They will argue, they'll they'll argue for reason and logic If if, if the person they're arguing against if it will work in whatever situation that they're arguing against. And they'll argue against reason and logic if it won't. They'll argue for, um, you know, they'll say Kanye is not black if that helps them, and they'll say he is black if it doesn't, sorry, the reverse, right? He's not black if it helps them say that, and he is black if it helps him to say that. I don't think they're about the oppression hierarchy, and I think that's the big lie. The big lie is that they care about these people and that they care about the oppression hierarchy, and there is some sort of empathy thing going on. That's a lie. That's all just a tool that's being used to push an agenda. Um, And I don't think the agenda is even positive. I think the agenda is, you know, as I've said before, I think the agenda is chaos and nihilism. That's the agenda. It's to destroy the West.
3: I actually have a question about this that I wanted to get, get your guys' feedback on because I feel like with the whole coronavirus thing, I feel like Asians have moved up the oppression hierarchy. Whereas oh, yeah. before they didn't care about them, but now it's like a thing. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. They have. Um and I think that's because uh you are seeing real like I've seen real racism against Asians. Um during this coronavirus thing. I'm in a lot of like weird Telegram chats for people who are paying attention to all this and like posting videos from all around the world and getting intel. And uh, yeah, there's like, I've seen actual racism, like blatant anti-Asian racism. Um, So yeah, I think- um,
5: So Carter, when you say- I think they are now. Can you, um, do you get a, a feeling for where it's coming from? Does there seem to be some kind of concentration I'm not, before I play my hand and what I think, I'm, I'm curious on what you see, because I've only seen a few things.
0: Wait, are you saying, uh, sorry, ask that again. Are you th- do I s- see a lot of it or just a little bit?
5: Well, is I mean, that your question? It's not necessarily the volume, but do you tend to think that it's coming from a certain area?
0: Or a certain um, I can't tell if it's coming from a certain area, but it is like, I, for example, I saw like a stereotypical... I mean, I hate to say this, but I saw like a stereotypical redneck kind of person, like talk about how they're going to shoot Asians who come near their house. Right. Um, and it was like, all right. And, and, you know, and they said a lot of really foul things. Um, and you know, it's not like it was accepted in the group. I called them out on it and then they got banned and whatever. And I was like, look, are we going to, this group is about prepping for (laughs) the coronavirus and sharing Intel, not bashing on, on people for their skin color. But, um, so there is, there has been some of that. And I know just, um, just through my wife that the Asian community is like most of the Asian friend, most of my wife's friends from China or that are like in the U S they have not, not really been very woke. Like they're not, they're busy making money and kind of capitalist and they don't kind of, they just don't care about this woke crap. They've they're there's not that group of people, but even they are kind of now nervous because they're hearing stories of people being, mm-hmm. um, treated poorly and whatever. And I, you know, there is racism in the country and I don't, Carrie and I have both not said, you know, neither of us has said there's no racism, but um, I right. think, yeah, now that there's, now that there's a little bit of oppression, the SJWs are gonna, you know, put well, the agents in Well, I think they, the, they, they the reasons
1: that, Car, what Carlin's talking about them moving up on the hierarchy, like you correctly pointed out, they don't actually care so they don't actually care that there are some instances of this happening now it's just that they see an opportunity and they use it and this is a if 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 there are news stories about there being um increased acts of racism against asians then they will seize on that and use it to push the ideology right
0: and they they foam at the mouth if they can get a video of someone like being racist because it's like that's a tool they can use they love it right um, it's I actually think they want racism, so they can share it around and prove some point they're trying to make.
7: Yeah, it's a very, it's very vir- virtue signaling. And you, I, what I've found is um, even when you try to make a point about the Chinese Communist Party, which is a really valid point, then the pushback is automatically that you are racist against the people of China. And it's the very same pattern of behavior, where if you have like if you push back against uh, drag queens in the library, then you must be a homophobe. Or, you know, it's it's yeah. the same it's the same pattern. It's like you can't have a a real life logical conversation about the propaganda that's coming out of China without somebody smacking you down about how you are perpetuating racism against Chinese people. And it's like, we have a real conversation here for a second.
0: You know, Laura, that reminds me of something else that I liked about this book, which I think Douglas Murray was spot on about, which is they, they, if they cared about certain issues, they would go after the ones that are more clear, like the trans stuff. I don't know if people know this, but like, Uh, years ago, I used to donate actually to um, an intersex organization, because I cared about intersex kids that were being um, assigned, they really were being assigned something at birth. And I was of the opinion that like, it's, it's child abuse to perform surgery on a kid, just let them be themselves. It's, you know, they don't let them figure out what they want to be later. And they can make a decision later, because there are, you know, I think it's like, half a percent or less of the population. That's no, I think it's a a thousandth of the population, something like that, that actually has intersex like issues. Um, but they didn't go after intersex, right? They don't talk about intersex. In his book, he points it out. They talk about, you know, Jessica Yanev. That's their, those are their cheerleaders or, or those are the people they, they rally behind. And the same thing if, I've seen with China, I have seen some blatant racism against Chinese people, but that's not what people are like, that's not what the SJWs are going after. They're going after people who are, who are saying, hey, we don't trust the Communist Party. The Communist Party is doing these things. If China's lying about their numbers, that's not an anti-China person to say. That's an anti-China government thing to say. Um, and a lot of Chinese agree with that, actually. If you say, I don't trust the CCP. I don't. I think they're lying about their numbers. They did blah, blah, blah. A lot of Chinese people will be like, yeah, and they're hurting us too. Like they're, they're the victims. Um, but they're not, the, the, the battle that the left is taking up in this whole thing with respect to making Asians higher in their you know their oppression hierarchy is not the battle of actual like protecting actual instances of racism and going after that it's it's yelling at people who say the china virus or yelling at people who like or uh, talk about the communist party
11: <laughs> yeah so but if i could ju- if i could jump in i want like
1: s- they they take the they take the very real and i and i hate this about them they they it's almost like somebody said they love individual instances of racism because they can then use those and they will take those and they will use it as a almost a battering ram to attack things that are not racism and and to shut down conversation about communist china propaganda for example or like in the case of that woman the um the reporter the new york times editor who who was was on msnbc and made the mistake that egregious math mistake about Bloomberg mm-hmm. and all of his uh his money and how he could give everyone a million dollars, and then later she said she wrote a whole op-ed about how you know the people criticizing her were all racist and she cherry picked. Yeah, there were people sending her horrible yeah, racist she, things. He
9: was the victim,
1: right? But that wasn't. I guarantee you that was not the 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 bulk of the criticism or the feedback. But because They can take the actual instances of racism and then say, and all of this valid criticism, you're just like these guys. I hate that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think Wolfgang had something to say. Hold on, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you guys hear me? Yep.
11: Yeah, I was going to add something to what Carrie said uh, a while ago about SJWs using uh, the uh, Asians as an opportunity uh, just to push their wokeness. when this whole coronavirus thing is
0: over... Be- Wolfgang, can you get closer to your mic? Because you're like, a couple words are audible and then the rest is not. How's this? Much better.
11: All right. Yeah, to add what to what Carrie said earlier regarding using Asians as an opportunity to push their wokeness, when this whole thing passes over, they'll forget uh, the Asian community. And the reason why I say that is... Uh, if you rec- if you remember back in 2015, uh, at the Claremont McKinnon College, there was a bunch of students gathering together demanding a safe space. They had their signs, their megaphones, demanding the college to give them a safe space, and they were listening to students give their testimonies. When one of the students gave a testimony, an Asian student, uh, just... Uh, telling her story that uh, she nearly got ran over by a car and this guy yelled out, go back to your country. But when it turned out uh, the driver was black and the Asian students said, racism come from anywhere. The students basically tried to shut her up. Some yelled at her and told her, uh, racism is prejudice plus power. And one other student tried to get her to wrap up uh, her talk and so she, they could just move on so yeah they don't care that yeah uh, the asian yeah. Are, that the asians are going to be facing um prejudice or racism from other people uh, they're just going to use uh, this as an opportunity uh, just to push their wokeness and then it's going to go back to oh we can ignore them
0: did everyone hear that by the way can everyone hear what you said or no
5: yeah, and um,
11: my
0: original yeah.
5: question to you, Carter, was something that I, I felt like I was trying to watch and see what happened. Because I, I, on my Facebook feed, I still have a lot of Marine Corps friends, and they don't give a shit about posting stuff. They'll post whatever they feel like, whenever they feel like it. So I get to see a lot of things that I think a lot of my friends don't see. And they posted a couple of videos of racist attacks against Asians, but I noticed All of them were black men beating up Asians in subways and things like that. One Asian guy actually ended up in the ICU from being stabbed like 48 times. And I think, and I was like, watch, no one's gonna talk about this. No one's gonna share this. I see this only because they don't have a filter, but all my friends who I still follow who are a bit more social justice-y, they're not gonna talk about this. And I have not heard one peep about those incidents whatsoever.
0: Yeah, you're right, you're right. I saw, some, I saw a video, I think in New York of a group of black uh, guys beating up and injuring, um, I think two Asian people. Um, I haven't seen any talk about that either. I mean, and even we know that they don't care because uh, Asians were being, Asians had almost achieved whiteness status um, as far as the social justice warriors were concerned prior to this, I mean, there were signs in Berkeley that said, I remember this, it said, Asian silence is violence. Right? Or so, a like, non
5: Asian person of color. I've never seen that term. I was like, wait a second. You guys are right. starting to move them into another category. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. And they don't, they hate, hey, let's just be clear they hate Asians because the Asians blow the, the uh, narrative way right the narrative is that white people are horribly racist that you can't get ahead in society because whites are racist it's a white supremacist society and they have a control over everything and whites there's this like secret cabal of racist attitudes or even just a system that's not even talked about but is inherently racist preventing non-whites from succeeding when the fact is asians outperform whites uh both getting into college in terms of salaries like and, and Asians are all immigrants, all of them. You know, most of them only a couple generations at best.
8: One thing really interesting on that Carter that Douglas brought up in the book was that no one talks about how much more gay couples earn than heterosexual couples and single people. Totally exclusionary of race. You never, that's like, you may have, that's like such a taboo thing to even bring up. And he did it and he sourced it too, which that's pretty ballsy.
0: Yep. Yep. They do. I, 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 I honestly, you know, just, I think being just, maybe this is just the, my friend base, but it seems like being gay is no longer, I don't think it counts for anything anymore. I think it's over <laughs> for like, I think it's over for the gays. They're done. Uh, they're, you know, no, uh, they're just like us and it doesn't matter anymore and you know
1: no but it's just see but i think he makes a great point in the book of of what happened with the women's movement and with the civil rights movement which is what do you call it like uh the um the dragon slayer who's bored i forget st retired- george
0: the, St. Like uh, retired Saint George syndrome or whatever.
1: Retired Saint George syndrome, yeah, that's totally what's happening with the gay community. And you know, Mikey, who we've had on the show before, has talked about this. But it's like the dragons have been slayed, marriage equality has been achieved, and yet there, the ideology has to keep using these groups and finding, you know, examples of. It's like it's like the examples he gives in the New York Times of of the story about a uh, you know. Japanese man comes out and no one cares in a company where nobody cares. Front page news.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) I think he did a good job there of explaining how like the choice of stories is pushing a narrative, right? That there's that it doesn't make sense that these would be the the stories that are common, but here they are. Um, And that's something that I think people don't notice, right? They'll read a story and they'll be like, okay, well, that's a story. And I read it and like, they didn't say anything you know that seems overtly pushing an agenda but the fact that that's the story they chose that's what's pushing the agenda right that's the most important thing that happened in the business world and i think, I think the
9: whole, than the, whole example. the whole nature um, of this book is i'm sorry thomas the, the whole nature of the book is that um everybody we've we've reached this high level of equality and you know and where everyone is treated pretty fairly as these things go at least under the law and the train has just blown past the station and every, everybody is what, you know, is tilting at windmills now. I mean, this is the whole thing. It, it, it's, in, it's in everything, the feminism, the trans, every, every, uh, every issue with this, the gay, every gays are fine, but they feel oppressed. The feminists, you know, or women, I think, are you know, it doesn't mean there's no, uh, there's no sexism, but everything is in a higher, you know, everything, no one's ever lived better but we still are there's still things to complain about and uh ultimately the, i think the trans is the the final end to all that where just men men can we women women can be men uh you had ariel scarcella on the other day and she was just she's you know they were she's a lesbian she, they, they're attacking the the trans now we're attacking the feminist the left sort of is eating itself you know it,
0: um, well, well and i think i i don't i'm wondering i'm wondering about other people's opinion about this but um I think to a large extent, a lot of these movements were always political, but that wasn't at the forefront or at least they were populated by people who had shared pseudo Marxist uh, ideologies. And so it was a pretty easy transition when Marxists because Marxists are really good. I mean, the whole Marxist thing is is they want to tear down the West, that's, that's the goal. And they do that through um, creating strife traditionally between classes, but um, when, they're, when, they, when they need other people to fill the void, I think it's actually kind of easy to, to go to a group that, you know, their goals have largely been achieved, um, but they kind of share a lot of the sentiment of the Marxists. They may not be explicitly Marxist, but I actually think a lot of these groups have shared a lot of the political ideology to a large extent. So it's easy to kind of mobilize them into this new, for, you know, for this new cause Um, And just help them to keep going and tell them like, well, you're not done fighting because, you know, we haven't taken down capitalism yet. And that's really the end of your, you know, that's the goal.
3: I mean, I wonder if there's something to be said for like, they've built a sense of community around fighting these issues. I mean, a couple of years ago in L.A., the Gay Pride Parade was renamed the Resist Parade. Like they've literally built community around these issues. And I wonder if they they. like they're gonna lose that community or lose that acceptance or lose that belonging and they don't know another way to build it
0: yeah well i mean it's look defining yourself as defining yourself by who you have sex with makes zero sense in a society in which no one cares it makes a lot of sense in a society in which you're persecuted and ridiculed and like treated differently because of it and you have like political aims to that you need to achieve and so you can all gather together and say, we might disagree on a lot of things, but we have this shared sexuality that is being, uh, uh, marginalized and oppressed. And so we need to fight for equality under the law with respect to our sexuality. But once that's achieved, um, I think, I think people who want to continue defining who they are based on who they sleep with, to me, that's just uh, no matter whether you're heterosexual or, or gay or whatever, that seems like not a very healthy or complete way to define yourself as an individual. And so um, I don't know, maybe maybe, they're lost. Maybe they don't know who they are, because they spent so long defining themselves only by that, that now it's like, well, now who are you? Right? You're not fighting for gay rights anymore, because you have those rights. What are you now?
1: Yeah, maybe they don't know the answer. um, This is something that Professor Allen talked about on Deprogrammed. If you guys didn't see it, we got to um, do a great interview with him it was one of my favorites and nicole in chat is the one who put us in touch with him so thank you nicole but he talked about um asking students in his class to tell him who they are and and students have been trained now to say all of the and you see it on twitter too in the bios and they just list all their identity groups and they're like you know i am white fat gay You know, depressed, I have bipolar disorder and I'm differently abled. And he's like, that's not your identity. Like, who are you? (laughs) Tell me about who you are. Something
5: about how you behave, I think.
1: Yeah. And so they focus on the wrong things. And I think, um, I think this, maybe it's a matter of getting people to, like you said, they don't know who they are anymore, Carter. And and like Dr. K saying, they get a sense of community from, from, this identity. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's empty. And, and I, I don't know how, what the, I think the answer I did, even though I didn't finish the last chapter, I skipped ahead to some of his <laughs> parts. And I was looking at the part where he said, depoliticize our lives at the end. And uh, it made me think of when I was being taught all this stuff in college, in women's studies, it was a big slogan at the time. The personal is political. It was something that was said all the time. The personal is political they encouraged us to try and politicize ourselves and our identity and to make everything political and everything the responsibility of the government and everything some shared experience among identity group within this identity group of women you know and so i think part of the answer there is is what professor allen was saying was like getting young people to explain and tell you who they are outside of all these stupid categories
5: and it reminds me of something that um, Carter and Carlin were just discussing about identity and community. Now, if you're a part of a community that has a very specific goal, once you get to that goal, what's the purpose of that community? And is that somewhat a little bit different when your community is much more spiritually based, which is a journey that never actually ends? And as we move away from stuff like that, Is that in part why we have the problem with these people doing that and why the train goes off the rails as they hit their goal? Because now
10: what? And you're kind of getting at the whole idea that James Lindsay and Peter Boghossian talk about where they're essentially saying that this whole woke thing is an emerging secular religion and that it provides validation Um, we validate identity. That's why kids are identifying who they are by what victim groups they're a part of, because it provides a sense of camaraderie, just like you would get from church. And he talks about how being saved has been replaced by being woke and being witnessing is calling people out and all of this stuff. It's it's completely replaced. Uh, That's a religion.
9: Yeah. I, uh, I have a, we have a friend of ours and she's a, uh, She's a teacher at a, a lo, one of the local private schools here in uh, Connecticut, and a, in a fancy town. And they they're asked to get up and introduce themselves to their student, and they they have to give her name, and then they, she has to give her pronouns. And she's a you know woman in her fifties. This is not a but you know when I when I tried to you know Jesus this is a she just would couldn't hear what I had to say that. This is uh you know do you do you agree with this that that's what you're defining yourself as. Nope, this is the science you know, she had no she wasn't ready to to hear anything different and uh, and I just wanted to also say that we we had we had ta- you were talking about that it, that it really isn't about the the, the gay the, the the feminism, whatever it's it's true because they they are morals of convenience. everybody sits and screams on you know Doug Murray was talking about. This girl screaming on the Yale campus—it's very easy here on the Yale campus. But they're not screaming about oppression of women in Saudi Arabia. There's no—it takes no—it takes no it takes no, uh, no courage to to scream at Yale. And you know, this is no one's really willing to 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 really put themselves out with this.
0: So, I mean, they're luxury beliefs, right? Only a super successful uh, culture. And a super successful country can, can provide these students with the luxury of sitting around and getting so upset over such trivia all the time. Um, it's really a, it's a sign of, ironically, it's a byproduct of success and leisure time that we can care so, about that kind of stuff.
7: Which brings up the whole thing which I was thinking a lot about this week because there's been kind of a turn down the volume of all the intersex, identity, politics, even, you know, in this last week or two when there's this common threat of the virus, all of a sudden, all these other little things that we've been talking about for so long seemed seem to be getting more and more muted to me in my threads. It's like, it's not, is it quite as important anymore? Are we seeing that people are really marching you know they're like really concerned about all these different um, things that douglas talks about in the book so it's like okay are we because of this collapse that we may have in the economy and with the threat of the virus are we going to see a change in people's uh and what they feel like is important will will they need to keep on with Making sure that everybody has their pronouns correct, or are we going to be more concerned about other things?
3: I feel like I feel like we are like um like it is going to start to take a back seat, but they're trying to figure it out, man. I've I've seen an uptick of it in the last like several days, especially. It's like they retreated for a little while to figure out how to handle it, and now they're <laughs> starting to come back.
0: <laughs> is there a consensus now? What is it, Doctor K? What's the what's the official uh, social justice stance?
3: No, I'm just seeing stuff pop up around this being a gendered thing. Or I just saw something earlier about it, like having roots in intersectionality. And I'm like, they're starting to fight again. I don't know exactly what form it's going to take, but it's coming.
5: Say what Carrie would say, where they have to see what the, their experts say about it. And then they can start moving that direction.
1: Yeah, the, priest, know, this- the priests and priestesses have to articulate some, you know, Todd Naheasy Coates needs to write a piece or, you know, Robin D'Angelo has to write something and then they will get their they will get their little talking points and go out and repeat them.
0: <laughs> then they know what well, to think. Yeah,
9: there's, there's going to be a lot of money that's uh, up for grabs now. It's going to it'll be interesting. Uh, there's two trillion dollars and some of that's going to go to this sort of thing. So people are going to buy for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, can I just I want to make a clarification about something because uh, Taya. Hi Taya was in chat. I don't know if she's still there. Taya's is, is very upset that we're using the word Marxism. I know am very upset. I don't want to mischaracterize. She's pointing out that these don't there's not an economic theory behind this, blah, blah, blah. We're not technically Marxism is an economic theory. That is, she's correct. We're using Marxism as a it's a version, it's a it's an offshoot from Marxism. It's not an economic theory, but it uses Marxist principles and Marxist methods accomplish its own goals so they're not actually going at they're not they're not trying to implement marxism per se maybe some of them are uh but they're using the language and methods around marxism replacing class struggles with group struggles they are not having an economic goal necessarily they think like i think their goal is just nihilism um so i don't feel bad saying marxism because i think people understand what that means, and we're not meaning the economic philosophy of Marxism when Marxism, we're saying it. Yeah,
5: and I think that uh, Douglas Murray did a great example of a whole chapter linking a lot of the Marxist ideas to what's going on, specifically where he, I forget the name of the specific book, but he goes through a book where they actually talk about the process of taking those theories of the struggle between people of class and saying, well, the workers weren't smart enough to rebel so we have to now start getting these other groups together and getting them on the same page but the problem is that there's so many working class people who are racist but we have to get them together with colored people so and it wasn't like any um abstract or something that nobody's referencing at the time of writing the book that Literature itself had more than sixteen thousand references to it, so it's not like he's getting obscure. That's what it I'm. It's not like he's getting your right. book from out of nowhere. It's like no, this is the Bible from which identity politics comes from, and they are not shy about talking about its Marxist roots and publishing the run-up to the book in a Marxist magazine. So yes. I often try to convince some of my progressive friends, say, hey. There's some Marxist stuff you're saying here, and I'll point it out. And they get really frustrated. But it's like it's all the people that you learned your social sciences from talk about this stuff, reference it, and they aren't they aren't ashamed about it. They're totally open about it.
1: I like. I think you're talking about uh, when he talks about Laclau. Is that right? Yes. I Laclau, like that he included absolutely. that. Yeah, because I wasn't as familiar with him. Um, We read a lot of Foucault when I was in school, but um, and I think we read this guy, too. I just don't remember him as much, but I like the the pieces that you're talking about that he included where they're specifically saying, like you said, hey, we could I mean, essentially they're like, we could get all these different identity group struggles and harness them for our purposes. I mean, they kind of just
6: lay it out. (laughs) What page was um, that? What, what chapter was that with the Lacau? How do you spell that? That
5: was on the Marxist
0: chapter. I feel like it was chapter two or something. Yes. Or, or was it an interlude? Yeah, chapter. Yes. Fifth page
6: the 51,
1: Marxist so. Foundations. 51?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was the interlude, yeah, between the first and second. Um, yeah, it says page 55 to so 58. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs>
6: All right, how well, many people was, about that? The leader. oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, good. <laughs> I just, I have a bunch of notes. So it's for that one, uh, the leaders are unclear about how to find a way through complexities. Um, Marxists determined to pull together all social movements under one umbrella to fight uh, the group with power or their enemy, something like that.
5: Yeah. They're just using that same idea with different groups of people. But they're, and it, it reminds me of kind of what we were talking about before, where we we're saying they're not, they're just looking for tools. So now, here's these groups that are the new tools for this end that they want. So let's see how we can put these tools together. Um, and it's not necessarily that they care about those people, but they, those people are now the opportunity for them to push that narrative.
9: And, um, who, go who ahead. Is they? Who is they? And I listened to a thing with Douglas Murray and, and Lionel Shriver on YouTube. It was a great uh, interview. Uh, it was on March 20th, so it's very current. But she was asking that same question of him. He he had this. It's kind quite of a they, they, they. But it's who, who are they? You know, is there a center? Cent- it's, she was, her point was there wasn't a central group to this. You know, it was it was sort of an amalgam of all these different people, but there wasn't a, a central. Uh, puppet master, as such. You
0: know. Well, if there's shared philosophy, there doesn't need to be a central puppet master, and that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand. They imagine that conspiracies must be some sort of hierarchical thing, where there's the grand master and he's got his minions, and that's the conspiracy. Or people get together in a in a room, a smoky room, and plot something. But if you if you have a generation of people, let's just say you have a generation of social scientists. Or philosophy professors in college that all share, or most of them share, the same foundational elements philosophically. Uh, you don't need, you don't need a conspiracy. It just happens as if there were a conspiracy, kind of organically, because they're all marching towards the same inevitable end, um, because they're they're all using the same methods. Um, but there are examples of they. If you want to, if you you know, a lot of people will mock when you say like, oh, they're commies, right? But the Soviet Union literally said, like they had, they literally did this. They, they knew one way to get uh, to foster unrest in the United States was to encourage race wars. And they funded, they funded groups with a specific intent of like creating racial disharmony in the US. So in that sense, there was an actual they, there really was a they, <laughs> and they really were intentionally doing this. Um, well, and I'm sure did. lots of people were swept up in that and it can continue without the Soviet Union because um, it take, took on a life of its own.
1: Well, look at what they did. Look at what, uh, with all the talk about Russian interference in the last election, what what most of the media uh, doesn't talk about is what the Russian trolls were doing on Facebook. They were playing off of uh, these, these already deep ideological divides over this ideology. Mm-hmm. They were setting up, groups and and they were setting up uh pro conflicting protests some b- pretending to be black lives matter and then pretending to be you know pro-trump people opposed to black lives matter and it's like they, they were they were like you said the same thing they were doing they were playing on existing group and tribalist and race like tensions and trying playing to heighten those things
9: the yeah playing both ends from the middle they call yeah it. And it-
5: I think it's easier to understand the they if you think about the opposite of a bad idea. I mean, just think about the founding fathers and where those ideas came from and how something positive. It wasn't like there was one group of people that said, hey, we're going to push this idea and it became a part of our ingrained um, structure in our culture. It was something that slowly grew and positive things can do that, too. It doesn't always have to be negative. So, it doesn't have to necessarily be like Carter said, some hierarchy, but those ideas and those cultures grow through hundreds of years or decades. And then, next thing you know, that's just the way people think, and then it affects the culture.
0: Yeah, I like, I, I think that's a great way to think about it. I, I like to think of the ideas as, um, well, I mean, the, the original word meme did not come from the internet, right? It was Richard Dawkins talking about genes, um, and, and he used memes as ideas that propagate. And I think, and, and I think that analogy is spot on. I, you, the way I view it is, you know, if you have an environment that's conducive to a certain set of memes replicating and spreading, then the memes that are most condu- conducive in that are or, or most adapted to that environment will spread and replicate. And... Certainly setting up certain institutions, having certain types of populations, having certain historical events, like lots of things contributes to what ideas can and can't uh, propagate in a population. And um, so I, I think we had a population for a variety of reasons that was, and, and still is, ripe for these bad ideas to just spread like wildfire. You sow the
5: seed in the right Soil.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You were asking about where the social justice types would go during this pandemic. And I think I'm already seeing the literal seeds of it where they're showing the pictures of the decreased air pollution and the cleaner canals in uh, Venice and going humanity is the virus. That is not a unique thing. This goes back 40 years where... 20 years ago one of the UT professors said if I could be reincarnated I'd come back as a virus that killed 99% of humanity and we need to depopulate to 500 million or a billion people we we need to kill people and isn't celebrating if they're celebrating death extinction rebellion has been called a death cult a middle class death cult and seeing this I think they're having a power orgasm of We're shutting down the economy. We're limiting travel, we're rationing resources. We're shutting down non-essential businesses. We're putting everybody on welfare and controlling the fake news regarding reporting of the virus. Censorship, rationing, control over travel, control over education, control over every aspect of society. And then they're saying, well, this is just a virus. We're already talking about the climate crisis. Let's
0: use these emergency powers to solve the climate crisis. Yeah, you're spot on with that analysis. That was a great and, analysis.
9: And take away your guns.
0: Yep, yep. But you know what, Tamara, I've seen. You're right. I've seen people saying, um, "Hey, look, uh, the water over here is cleaner," or "This is like the air in this spot is cleaner." Like they they are they are out celebrating the shut down because it means less pollution and and less economic activity and yeah they're they're literally villains in like a a bad movie that what was the movie um kingsman they're like the guy they're like the kingsman dude who just wants to kill a bunch of people because that's what the earth needs uh i think you're spot on much
1: like much like douglas murray points out that They won't give up. None of them will be the one to stand up and give up their job to someone that they believe is more oppressed than they are. But they're also not the one to kill themselves to help the environment.
0: (laughs) Right, but they'll certainly celebrate your death. Yeah.
1: I see a lack of personal commitment to some of these beliefs is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that was like one of the biggest points that I wrote down from
10: the whole book was that the lack of commitment on a personal level that i think his title the madness of crowds really almost ties in to like the idea that he's essentially accusing the madness of the crowds being that they're disingenuous he says at one point we're pretending to be certain um of things that we learned this morning and pretending not to know things that we knew yesterday and i thought that was just brilliant like astute analysis of how he is essentially saying it's fake. People are pretending to believe things because they want, as you guys often talk about power. It's really just about power.
0: Yeah. It's, it's to see how much can we get you to obey. I mean, he also, you know, the other thing that comes to mind, Chris, is um, the scene that he uh, relayed with the uh, the guy at Evergreen and the students were like, put your hands down, do this. And he was like complying. Like they just... They just want compliance, they just want, and the best way to get compliance is to just constantly change uh, the rules all the time and make sure that you keep up.
10: And that's all it's about, it's really all it's about. The identity groups to some extent are just the Trojan horse, they're the beautiful, um, they're the Trojan horse that lets you into their institution and then they destroy it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know, anything else anyone wants to talk about or should we wrap it up? It's been an hour and 45 minutes. Carrie, do you got anything?
1: I gotta go to the bathroom soon. So <laughs> let's get final
0: thoughts. TMI, Carrie, TMI. <laughs> well, Fine they are, uh, I don't know, they about are a the death thing. call. I, you know what, one thing I didn't like about you this book, the only thing. About the day. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Elizabeth. Go ahead, Elizabeth. No. Now you're muted. Why is she muted?
6: Sorry, can you, I can't, yeah, we I hear can't you see know. most of you. Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Okay, I wanted to say something about the they. I can't see you guys, so I'm sorry. Um, my husband and I have uh, arguments all the time about who's the they and the, um, mainstream media is controlled. You've seen, have you guys seen that meme where it's controlled by like six major corporations? And uh, there was a recent, somebody posted a video of all of the different networks and uh, played them simultaneously. And they were all saying the same uh, keywords and uh, sentences. And it's really scary because, you know, that just enforces the, the point that there, there has, I think there is a they, there is a group of people that are trying to control all of these agendas because uh, Murray said at some point there was um, all these issues at, were almost non-existing. And then at some, uh, around 2007, I think, or 2015, I can't remember what year, but he said they all re-emerged. So I think, and I hear my family, especially uh, repeating the news and their whole issues as their new agenda, their own personal new agenda. So I think there is a bit.
0: I, you know what? You might, that's an interesting point. That video, if anyone hasn't seen it, I don't remember the, I'd put, post the link, but I don't I don't have it handy. I don't remember where it is, but that's an awesome video because they, and, but it happens with multiple things where they'll, um, because this has happened over and over again, there'll be some talking points and it's not clear where they're coming from but all the networks say the exact same they use the exact same language um all the time
1: easter worshipers instead of christians
0: yeah and i'm still not convinced that means that there's someone giving them orders i think it might just mean that they kind of talk to each other and Mm -hmm. kind of like oh this is an important story yeah we should talk about this and like they kind of all just have the same language by default in many ways but um you know, they're certainly not are uh, certainly not independent thinkers. We know that the that media isn't thinking and deciding what to do anyway, like independently. They, they're all pushing agendas and they're all pushing the same agendas, basically. Uh, E.C. Homer says <laughs> the Bilderbergs. Yeah, I mean, there is the Bilderberg group, which not a lot of people know about. It is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bilderberg group meets, I think it's annually. Uh, I don't even think US presidents are invited all the time. Make, maybe sometimes, I think Obama got to go. I doubt Trump gets to go to Bilderberg meetings. Um, I have a friend of a friend who uh, was on the steering committee of the Bilderberg group. She's like a very well connected person. Um, they're kind of crazy and spooky. Um, so does everyone know what, know what I'm talking about no. Or no? no. No, look up the Bilderberg group. Uh, it's not, a, it's like a weird thing that sounds like Alex Jones would rant about it, but it's, it's real. They meet, they are basically an elite group of, I don't know, one to 200. I'm not sure the number people uh, they are. It's like the Rothschilds. It's, um, it's people who have a tremendous amount of power in the world and they meet together and talk about changing the course of humanity, I guess, probably for the good in their own eyes, but they talk about their agenda um, you know, as far as I know, there's not like cloak and dagger stuff and <laughs> weird crap, but they do meet. Um, and it is sounds a thing.
1: Like a, sounds like the pentavert from uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yeah, you but know, it's a real I'll thing. People don't want it. to
0: believe it. But <laughs> it's a real thing. I swear, it's a. I swear, look it up. It's a real thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was
9: listening. They did a thing on the Koch brothers and these guys and Sheldon Adelson and some of these guys really have these long views of. 20 years, 30 years out, you know, electing state officials in weird posts and, and you know, in Virginia, they'll, they'll elect a, a district attorney or something. And, you know, because they're change, trying to change the culture in a long view, I, I don't necessarily vilify them, but this, they are, maybe they're, they are part of the Bay, you know.
0: they here. There's a, there's a website, there's a Bilderberg website I'm going to post in chat. They have a website. So they're not hiding, they're, not, they're out in plain view. They're not hiding.
10: Have you guys listened to Eric Weinstein? I think his idea about the gated institutional narrative and the distributed idea suppression complex were really fascinating Like takes on who the they is.
9: I'll listen to that.
6: Can you yeah. repeat that or put it on uh, Zoom? I wanna, I wanna look it up.
10: Yeah, absolutely.
1: yeah i haven't listened to that i know i know eric weinstein is brett weinstein's brother and um i've heard him you know i'm just i i don't i don't follow i don't not sure if he has a podcast or not so yeah if you could share the link that would be great he
10: he He has a new one and it's brilliant um really smarter than his brother and that says a lot (laughs)
9: yeah he works. he works with peter Thiel also which is interesting
0: yeah, he's an investor. I think he was at uh, Formation Eight or something. He was at a fund in the valley here for a while. Um, anyway, all right, Carrie, do you have to? You have to go use the restroom. Should we end it?
1: <laughs> Guess what? Guess what we're having tonight? They literally they made this. It was at the grocery store. It's a toilet paper cake. It's a cake that's made <laughs> to look like toilet, a roll of toilet paper. Some genius was like. Let me make this cake. It'll be popular. And it probably was. Anyway, yeah, I got to go and have cake.
0: All right, well, thank you all for watching. And sorry, go ahead, Jeremiah.
5: The chocolate skid marks
0: on there. Oh, oh, (laughs) I did not need to to ask you to repeat that. That was not necessary. (laughs) Someone
3: had to be that guy, Thomas. Someone had to. Uh,
0: (laughs) On that note, everyone, um, yeah. Thank, thank you, Thomas. You're on welcome. that note, um, on that note, thank you for watching, everyone. We will uh, see you for Kofefi on Monday, and so thanks to everyone for joining uh, the book club, both in chat and and live. So we'll see you next time. We don't know what book it's going to be next time, but uh, take care.